Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Vicar Street. Please put your hands together and raise the roof for the hosts of the biggest podcast in Ireland, the award-winning Talking Bollocks Live with Terence Power and Coleman O'Brien. I thought Sunday's crowd was bad. Jesus Christ. Do you know what? We, uh, we had a live show in August and the lad said, August is too bleeding early in the year to do your last live show. You're going to have to do one more. So we said, right, we'll do one in November then. And they were like, yeah, Sunday the 6th is there, you have that. And then all them mad cunts sold around five minutes. And we're like, right, fair enough, it is where it is. Then the lad said, there's another day there as well. It's the 9th of November, it's a Wednesday. And I always said, ask yeah. me, bollocks. <laughs> That's the stress of it. <laughs> I said, handy, Wednesday night, lot more time, people have work in the morning, and then you sold around two minutes? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the cardiologist as well, and the skill night. <laughs> Fucking hell. I come out here on Sunday, yo, because Jim was getting dragged off a table by a security guard. <laughs> and some young like, mucked me at half time and said, Where's Kelly's gold medal token? They were over all that. <laughs> said, Relax yourself there, will you, big fella? So, the second live show in a week, Laura Devlin is still pregnant, I heard. <laughs> now, uh, it wouldn't be a live show if one of us nearly didn't make it. I took a banger on Sunday backstage. It's actually a true story, that one. So, you know why I'm usually the nervous one? On Sunday, I was backstage, I was bouncing, I was saying, let's go. I said, Calvin, you ready for this? And I looked back, he was like a question mark on the banister. <laughs> I said, what's the story here? He was wax wheel, I said, oh, me nerves. I was cold over like that. Terence is bouncing around and the producers is there. One of them is Scottish, she's like, you're gonna do great. And I was like, <laughs> ring an ambulance, ring an ambulance. And all I was thinking of, imagine I walked out there and I collapsed. And all I could think was content. <laughs> but he just stepped over him. What's happening? <laughs> Fuck him. The show goes on, doesn't it? What do you think of the two-piece suits? We said we go a bit more casual because it's a school night, you know? Shout out the Dipneys as usual, that's aren't us out. As always, shout out the Dipneys, legends. 
Pule! What's going on? Mother panicking there. See, every show, right? Hey, I took a screenshot, didn't I? Every show I say to the boys, listen, don't be giving me scripts and stuff, because I have to go one, two, three, four on the script. And when I miss a bit, you see what happened. Screenshot. So, Calvin, where were we going, really? Where are you all from? Do we have any cultures in the house? Where are you from? Did I hear a limerick? Someone said Ballymun. Bollocks. <laughs> Someone said Ballymun. <laughs> where else are we from? Well, Tipperary. Sorry to hell. Do we have anyone here not from Ireland? Halle. Yeah, you could say that, yeah. Ryanair down flights at Halle, Eddie. We had, uh, we had a few people from overseas at the show on Sunday, and I was thinking, all right, you were one of them. Uh, I was thinking to myself, that's a bit mad, and imagine flying over here at the seals. You'd probably get a cheaper flight than the ticket itself. The, the, yeah, the price of the tickets, don't be blaming us, yeah. Genuinely, it was 35 quid, right? So you put two of them in your basket, you're like, handy, 70 quid, and then you go to check out and you see the price, and you're like, ring the kids, we're not having Christmas this year. <laughs> we're going to see Talking Bollocks instead. If some neck, I tell you that much. Come here, on Sunday we asked, had we any coppers in the crowd? Is there any coppers in the crowd tonight? Yeah, mad rat. I'm only messing. <laughs> I'm only messing. But there was, there was a few coppers in the crowd on Sunday. We knew that. We had inside information because Calvin's a rat. But, uh... <laughs> Sorry. Ireland's power is the only man I know invited to Star Street's Christmas party. <laughs> <laughs> but on a serious note, is there any TV license inspectors out there? Obviously not, because they're not fucking real. She put her hand up there and she looked dead serious. That's a myth. Things I like was going to say, get rid of her. Calvin's paro over that, I swear to God. I the ring Calvin, I'm like, did you see the score of the match, bro? That was some game, wasn't it? And he's like, I don't have a telly, bro. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you lying to me for? Like, he honestly thinks I'm gonna share him up with a TV license inspector. And he's like, show me around the room. I'm walking into the box room, into the jacks. Like, Calvin, there's no one here. He's like, oh, yeah, two, one good game, wasn't it? You can never be too careful, am I right? Anyone knocks at your door, it's trouble. If someone's looking for you, they ring you. Shrew, it's 2022, you just want to grow up knocking at... Actually, I knock at the door, where's Vanessa? Me, I bounce into the gaff. Calvin rang me on Christmas Eve. Oh, Christmas morning! He says, what's your story, what are you doing with this? I'm down in your gaff, you mad cut. I was down in his mask gaff having dinner. I was down in my own gaff. It's a true story as well. But, uh, so, see, at the last live show in August, we mentioned about tickets and going upstairs to the back room and all this carry-on, yeah? And it was the worst mistake we ever made. Yeah, we thought it was good content. We were like, remember that? That was funny. Tell that at the next live show. And we did. And then we went up to the back room then, the little green room bar that we have for friends and family, and I opened the door, and I swear to God, I'd never seen so many hands and faces in my life. It was like a scene out of Walking Dead. I was like, fuck that! I remember going over and just throwing the tickets out and legging it, and someone was like, that grabbed me and all. 
getting fish hooked back into the door. So now we're not allowed to go back upstairs, what, Bart? We actually have a cool few. We have to go off stage at 10.20 now over you's mad cunts. He's refused to leave. Nah, but I was very childish in fairness now. It's where the Jackson 5 is in the fucking room. We're going to be fucked next year when we do a show and you'll all keep the late license. You know that one where they're saying out in the bleeding, the pubs can say out in the half one. And the nightclubs can say out in the six. All them session mods over there are cheering. <laughs> we'll go back on the hill for witches, girls. Don't be worrying. <laughs> Imagine that. Imagine being able to stay out till six and you're in a nightclub at one o'clock and you click some 12 out of 10. You're like, what's the story? Do you want to come home? And she says, I'll be wait till it's over. And you're like... <laughs> right, sound. I'm going home to get a show on a breakfast roll. Ring me when you're ready. <laughs> oh, I'm bollocks, like Terence. Can we sit down? That's why I have the Apple Watch on. We're clocking up the steps. Right. <laughs> There's the awards. Like I said earlier, we had Kelly Hardington on there the other night, yeah? And she didn't bring her gold medal. And I was like, what's the story with you, you mad cunt? I was like, you didn't bring that gold medal down here. I get out the deck, I was at 8 o'clock every morning for a coffee, I'm walking in like that. <laughs> See that thing, Deco? Coffee on the house, yeah? So we actually have two awards. This one is for Goal Out as well. They won Network of the Year. So give a shout out to Goal Out, because this is the last of four nights of shows. Goal Out had to put none in there, so fair play to them. But uh, as well, on a more serious note, as well, I hate getting serious in here, because everyone's just staring at you. I'm like, oh, bollocks. But seriously, though, they did take a gamble on us, boys, when two young us from the flats doing a podcast in a bleeding kitchen. They didn't have to do that, you know what I mean? They really didn't. They gave us a big opportunity and we're at the take of both hands. Look at this fucking Leon boys. Mm. And there's still people that are hesitant to walk with us, but you know what? Fuck them. So the reason why we brought the award back out tonight as well is because we had it out on Sunday for that crowd, but we know that yous are just as responsible for that award as they are. So big thanks to yous as well. But here, we were here about 20 minutes ago. We had to go home, have a shower, come back, do another podcast. So I was saying to Terence, like, we better have to sleep in Vicar Street at this rate. You know what I mean? Imagine living with you, bro. <laughs> oh, imagine that. I can't, I can't even stand living on my own, I swear to God. I don't even have a toast on the gaff. This annoys me when he says that. He says it as if he's living in, like, fucking Angela's ashes, you know what I mean? He hasn't got a toast of my choice. Haven't got a euro. But remember we did the Goggins Challenge? So, Cardline, you, that's my Auntie Cardline there, by the way. Tell them what your Auntie Cardline does. She does me washing for me. Where does your Auntie Cardline live? Balbriggan. And where do you live? Town. Right, this is how bad it is, yeah? So we done the Goggins Challenge there a few months ago, and... Uh, we're running bleeding basically two days, so the two of us are in the gaff stinking. I was like, Terence, we need to have a shower, yeah? 
So, do you know when you're in someone's gaff and uh, you need to go to the toilet, but you're being polite and you're like, oh, can, can I use your toilet? And they're like, ah, no. And they're joking and you're like, all right, Kevin Bridges, you relax there. <laughs> and you go in and have a hit and miss anyway. So I was like, Terrence, I'm going in to have a shower. Can I, can I grab a towel? And he was like, no. And I was like, all right, yeah, that's a shy joke. So I got a shower and I goes, Terrence, give us a towel there, will you? And he hands me a face cloth. <laughs> and I goes, what do you want me to do with that? He goes, you're not using me towels, he said. Because if, if he uses a towel, I have to send that all the way out the ball, brigging. <laughs> and wait for it to come back. And I said, bollocks, he'll do, you know what I mean? Be grateful. So we was standing there with a face cloth like this. Then ringing her out. <laughs> and then going again. Ringing her out. I was running up and down this hall trying to fucking age Roy and all, you know what I mean? <laughs> so just as well we didn't fucking move in here then for the last two days. Oh. Where we going next? Zingers? Do you want to do zingers? Do you want zingers? <laughs> right, we'll get up for this, will we? Hey, uh, the yolks are fresh, you can squat and all. Shall we out the Tiffany's again? Get up! <laughs> oh. Where's the zing? Ah, oh, yeah. <laughs> Look, you do that first one. Right, so this one, Terrence come up with himself and caused absolute killings yesterday over it. Did I? <laughs> right, go on. <laughs> Would you rather be able to use a time machine or a teleporter? Think yeah, about everyone that. Everyone in the crowd struggling already. I didn't do higher level maths, you mad cunt. Don't be asking me them questions. So stand up for the time machine there, yeah? The Marty McFly fella? Couldn't miss you, toilet puffy. The size of him. Snooker ball head. Right, so I presume everyone that's sitting down picks teleporter then, yeah? What are you picking? What are you picking? I pick teleporter. I think anybody who picks teleporter is a fucking agent. Think about it. If you have a time machine, you just time machine yourself a few hours in the future, get the lot of numbers and come back. Like, what else could you want? Yeah, but think about it, yeah? You're using that time machine and you have to go four hours into the future from this spot, you know what I mean? So you go 100 years into the future, you're still going to be in those S3 flats. That's where I want to be. Where, imagine being, in a, being able to use a teleporter. Did you ever see when uh, you're coming back from a dodgy holiday with the boys and thinking the thoughts are getting on a Ryanair flight? Love to be able to teleport in my bed. Did you ever see you now be at the airport, the Burger King there? Imagine being sitting at that Burger King and just saying, oh, I have to go on a flight or I can teleport. You know what I mean? You can teleport to anything in the world. The World Cup. Talking bollocks live in the tree arena. Ah, and you won. <laughs> You, so, had yeah. to, you had to make the few follow points there. Teleporter it is. <laughs> yeah. No, we won't go there. Right, next thing, are yeah, moving on. He's pissing the shower. Yeah. Stand, Stand up. Stand up, so. Look the whole shred up. Get up. Bro, your board's a spillfire, yeah? What's the story with that? I hope you did. I hope I just caught you lay sitting back down. Because you'd be fucked out. Oh, strangers pissing the shower, yeah? 
Wil je staat hier in de zingels? Ik zo, hè? Zet die voor de voorste kerst? I don't think we are. Mijn nerves. Alright, so. Here's trouble. Gentlemen, please put your hands together for the Rod Father himself, Mr. Roddy Collins. Roddy's had to whisper in him here, there. I said, here, we'll give you your jam and dip his number there. Is this on, Abba? Is this on? Who's looking after this? Is it on, is it? I didn't want you to stop. That was the funniest ever. It was brilliant. Did you enjoy that, Roddy? It, it was brilliant, yeah. It was Did brilliant. Did you enjoy that? How are you, please? Here. I want to learn from you. How are you bleeding getting away with it? That's what I want to know. How do you fix this joke? Can someone get Roddy's mic? I hear him. <laughs> Just pull it out with the yoke there. Whip it out and hold it. Ah, no, that's Just only for the pros. You're sitting on top that's of only for the pros now, you know. <laughs> Hold on. I'll fuck with you. Roddy. <laughs> I saw the light. <laughs> Give me a mic and I'll sing. I'll tell you. Go on. Sorry, lads. Sorry. What's the crack? Oh, you do what you're doing. We're enjoying it. Do what you're doing. Just saying, you know, they're always talking to you about the suits, the suits, the suits. Are you wearing your suit, Rod? I am. And I'm wearing not, not even my best one tonight, lads. I didn't want to show you up. And, <laughs> and, 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 and no disrespect, but I know where you got your suits, lads. And I got mine. I was there twice in my life. For my communion and my convo. <laughs> I won't name the shop. I won't name the shop. But it's not Louis Copeland's, I can tell you that one. <laughs> Bloody right, boys, what's the crack, man? How are you, pal? How's the You know what? I'm absolutely in great form. It? It's very much. Caroline, get a collection going quick. <laughs> <laughs> We're in already, Caroline. But, uh, no, I'm in great form. What was it? About a year ago. You're walking around contemplating what's your life all about, all the ducking and diving, all the football, the boxing, everything. And then a fella raises you up and gives you loads of money to write a book. Write a book. I'll write a book. You pay me, I'll write on. So that's what we're at. The book come out, I don't know, 13th of October. And uh, I'm doing all these tours, you know, getting invited on these big shows now. They didn't want to know me when they were in the house in Carbera out in the kitchen. Oh, yeah. Didn't want to know. But there you go. Privileged to be here. Now, that's what's going on. Yeah, the book's out. What and tomorrow I sell, by the way. Everyone here, don't sell tonight. We're getting a new sofa for Christmas. Carly needs a new sofa. What made you hate the one you're sitting on? Well, do you know what? It would be the first time I could tell you that. The old van up the side lane, out we go. <laughs> What made you want to write a book, Roddy? I never write, I never wanted to write a book. I never... Sound. But, <laughs> no, I'm serious. I got offered, I got offered to write a book five or six times in the last 20 years, right? And I thought, so if I write a book, I have to move to Australia or I'll leading. Where you go? 
South America or somewhere. Don't know where I'll hook you over because I know I'll be flying after his bottle. <laughs> but, so anyway, Paul Howard, a really brilliant, brilliant writer, and a fella I know told years, and one of the funniest fellas you ever met, rang me up. And he said, Rob, will you write a book with Penguin? And I said, I will if you do it. And he said, I'll do it. So they gave me a whack of money. <laughs> Bought three new suits and started writing. The rest is history. He's dead right. Roddy, what's your favourite story from the book? The favourite story from the book? Oh, Jesus, there's not many. See, there's sad stories. There's happy stories. What do you want to hear? What? What one? <laughs> well, I'll tell you a story, a marriage story about how to get into trouble, right? I'm on the lash, right, of loads of money, minted at the time, absolutely minted, right? I come in about five in the morning with Caroline, we're in Lily's or Rainer's or somewhere, about half eight the phone rings, and I'm going to name drop because it's me pal, he's in the book, Finney Jones rings me up. Rob, you know that song, My Big Brother Sylvester? He says, yeah, sing it, mate, will you? So I'm on the side of the bed singing me fucking heart out, right? <laughs> Karen's going, get into bed, you. We're home, right? <laughs> so anyway, I said, what's the crack? He said, Woody's coming home, Holland. Woody was a, a car, no, Woody, fucking original that was. But, so <laughs> he's coming home, I'm having a bit of a drink in the post office arms in Hamel Hempstead. And I says, what time? He's about two o'clock. Into me tin of out to the airport, right? Oh, we go. Arrives out in the, 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 the patch pub. There's a mini bus there to bring us to the races. So I'm half flying the night before. Then I'm fully locked. Get to Newbury races. Last race, about half or quarter to five. My phone rings. Right. Caroline's brother, Mikey. Rod, what's the crack with you? So I'm great fucking flying. I'm in great form. He says, Caroline's looking everywhere for you. You'll be at a party in Miles and Castle Knock tonight. I says, I know, nine o'clock. He says, where are you now? I says, why? He says, I'm looking at you on BBC fucking racing. He said. <laughs> I'm sitting there locked, flying it, right? And family party of Moyos that night. Newbury races, half five. Moyos, nine o'clock. Got out of jail that night, Carly, didn't he? <laughs> the suits weren't in the black bag that night, Carly. And uh, there you go, sweet Caroline. The song was for all the Carolines, wasn't it? Yeah, heavily yeah, yeah. kind line out there, yeah. Yeah, and do you know where I ended up the boxing? Oh. I'll tell you how. Here we go. About 20 odd years ago, right, when my brother was striving to be a world champion, we were on a fight in London, he was on the undercard, and we were in a hotel afterwards. And, of course, Caroline, we're all singing, Caroline, sweet Caroline. And not Eddie Hearn, Barry Hearn came in, and he twigged onto it. And he went, jeez, that's a great number, 40, 50 Irish, mad Irish, gargled, locked, singing it. The next fight was a band fight. He commissioned it. It's been there ever since. So that's where it came from. So it's originally from Ireland. Match room didn't do it right. That's mad. Come here. If you believe that, go out and buy the bleeding book now. <laughs> That's mad because like, we Sorry. just come up with it one day, Roddy, and said, You know what's a good song? Sweet Caroline, let's play that before the, the podcast. 
Biggest this mistake we ever out. made. Ah, it's a cracker. It's a brilliant one, yeah. These Man. puts will be up on tables and all. I'm back there like a bag of custard, peeking out and all, saying, oh, bollocks. There's a story about a young player. One of your players, when you were coaching, he was getting a bit of stick. Him, him and his board were getting stick. And you had to have a water in my half time. Do you remember the story? I remember it well. And a brilliant player and a brilliant bloke, Polly Bourne. That's one. one of the best players you ever one of the best players I ever managed, by the way. Very, most talented, but mad as a brush, but great, great fella, loved him. And we're playing Rovers in Talker Park, Bowers was shut down at the time. And now I don't I don't like being vulgar, right? But they were singing about his wife having sex. In pretty awkward position, you know what I mean? They were saying she takes her up the arse. That's what they were saying. Fucking <laughs> Three or four thousand people singing it right, and he couldn't kick a ball out of his way. So he comes in at half time, of course. When you're the manager, you're fucking mad, you lose it, you know what I mean? The coke goes to the door, and you go around there, and you, see, fucking you, don't look at me like that. Get out and sort it out. Fucking paying you 500 a week to fucking sit and look at me. Get out there and do your job. You go around there, one. Bonesy, what's the crack with you? Left him to last, me best player. He's sitting there, Rod. She's not here with that singing about me, missus. So I said, I did. Shut your bleeding corns, you fucking eat. <laughs> he went down and he was brilliant, right? This is the truth. He was brilliant. A month later, his missus left him. <laughs> That's the truth. That's the truth. Did I hear another story about a fella who left his oven on? He left what? The oven on in the gaff. Ah, Jesus, yeah. We were playing Ronnie Whelan's brother. Ronnie was a legend. Paul Whelan, my best, one of my best pals in football. Gas, man. We are playing against Drada against Shelburne. It could have been nothing Drada. And he's having a nightmare, you know? So I go some, I go down to the corner. He said, Well, what's crack with you? Were you out last night? Oh, I'll rather me a fucking shell. I'm in bits. What's wrong? We left the chicken in the oven. He says, Down in Tonleggy Road or Clongleggy Road, somewhere in Kilock, anyway. He said, I left the chicken in the oven. He says, I would thought, Jesus Christ, the place would be born to the ground. And his, his, his wife was down in Cork for the weekend. Oh, no. So I went in at halftime. I said to Coxie Carbley, one of the Carbleys from Garden Street, a good man, a good docker. I said, Coxie, we have a serious problem with him. I said, just leaving the chicken in the oven down in Kewlock. <laughs> oh, you're fucking joking me. We can't take him off. He's a great player, you know. <laughs> so we got the car keys. We got the keys in the house. We got the true story. We got the keys in the house. And uh, Coxie jumped in his car, bang, now I'm out the way down, bang, down to Kulak, into the house, comes back up, we're on the shower, coming out of the shower, we want to, we're having a great fun. Coxie walks in with a raw chicken, smacks him on the bleeding head. <laughs> you don't be fat bastard, you never turned the bleeding gas on. <laughs> and that is an absolute true story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, big wheeler, great bloke. Great bloke. <laughs> Come here, you have another story about when you split your trousers that time? Uh, that, other people find that funny. I didn't. I was managing in Carlisle. There was a bit of a documentary on uh, Rod Squad, it was called back in the day. Right, I'd done it thinking I was never coming home. I was going to manage Man United, Ireland, fucking Real Madrid, Barcelona, the whole lot, the suntan. Anyway, that didn't work out. But remember squatting down. To take a picture, you had to go on little ball boys and supporters and all, and kids. Give them a bit of your time, a bit of respect for, for coming in. Sat down from the waistband 
to the back waistband, the whole lot split. So there was a big toy tied around my waist for the whole game. Right, it was a warm day. I put a big Louis Copeland mohair overcoat on. I lost about three stone of sweat. The fucking sweat was baiting down me. I'll tell you what, I'll give you a story, right? What a change. You, you get me going, you get me going, right? My first date with Caroline. My first date with Caroline, right? And I left the home six times to Devonny Gardens, right? And I couldn't even get a kiss. Six times, six weeks in a row. And every week I go in the mirror, here I be. You look great, you're gorgeous. Right? Will you go out with me? And then I change tack and I go, come here, I think you're into this girl and you're well educated now, would you go out with me? So I had about four different attacks. Anyway, I got round and I asked her out. So I said, where do you want to go? Remember the picture house on Granby Row? The plaza. The plaza. Ah, you weren't born anyway. He, so, Showing your age, yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, I'm 62, right? So I got a land of a, an overcoat, a black leather overcoat of a fellow for Devney Gardens. Everyone envies his coat, and I was the most jealous about his coat, right? So I said, right, I'll, I'll get a land of his coat. So I wouldn't pick up Carlin or Devney Gardens off the balcony. So I got the 14 bus up, jumped off the stop, shaped up with me in a fucking leather coat, you know? Carlin's six sisters. Five of them on the balcony and her three brothers. Sandra shouts, Ma, get fucking rid of him. That's Collins from Cabra, right? So anyway, we got through it and we went to the pictures. And I'm a coward. I'm a coward when it comes to creepy films. Even Jaracla films would be afraid, right? So we're in, we're in the plaza watching, watching The Omen. Watching The Omen. The Omen, is that what it's called? Yeah. Right, or one of them anyway. So we go in the picture, right? And it's my first day. So I'll buy all the old fucking lemonade, ice cream, popcorn, the lot. I'm going for it, right? So I sit in my seat and, the, and I leave the coat on because I don't want no this coat getting robbed. It was worth a fortune, right? So I'm in the sea and the film comes on, right? And I fucking duck down behind the fella in front of me. Here, right all I can see is this big matty head. I didn't even look at the film. And I had my arm around Caroline, right? And after about 15 minutes, the arm, you could have just cut it off, right? It was gone, it was numb. You could have just, it was gone, right? So I'm sitting there, this is bleeding, Mr. Kildale, the sweat paint tell me. Me fucking arm numb, and looking at the back, back of a big fucking matty head. That was my first day. That was it. But, look, it was 45 years ago, so I must have done something right. Yeah. Buddy. Are you ever going to get back into football? I never got out of it. I was put out of it. <laughs> I was put out of it. Oh, well, you tell me. Tell me. For winning. Want, wanting to win. For wanting to win. You know what I mean? You go into a football club. Yeah, there you go. There's a budget. Right? You can't win a fucking game because they're all crap. And you see what happens is, right? You're the manager. Right? And they give you a squad of players that you're stuck with. And they tell you to make a sale, pours out, sells out. Does that sound right? Yeah. Yeah, got that one right. And you go out, and you have a fella that's there, and he can't kick snow off a bleeding rope, but you stop him, right? And you're telling him, and like me pal there, footballers just nod all the time. You do a team dog hit here. And then when the game starts, they do all the fucking opposite, you know what I mean? So you're, on, you're, you're, you're in, a, in a dugout, 
And a fella can't pass a ball, can't cross a ball, and he's crap. And the crowd's like me. Roddy Collins is a wanker, is a wanker. Roddy Collins is a wanker, is a wanker. Roddy So yeah, you said that's the reason why, but that look, football's brilliant, I love it. It's full of lunatics, that's why I love it. Brilliant. Roddy, you know Neil Warnock, the manager? I do. Yeah, he's had to sign his own podcast recently, yeah? Do you ever think yeah. of starting your own podcast? No. The Rod Pod, no? No, 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 no. Because see, in podcasts, you have to ask people questions and listen. I don't fucking listen to anyone. You fuck all the talk about anyway, Roddy. <laughs> there you go. No, leave that to the experts. You're the kings. You, you look after that. Who's your favourite team you ever managed, Roddy? Favourite team I ever managed was... No, it wasn't Bowes. My favourite club. <laughs> oh, no, sorry. My favourite gang of players was Bowes. Paul Bourne. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Just for a minute. So as I know whether to go to Barrigan home after this, give us that balls one force. Is it loud enough to back me up tonight? Go on. But uh, now, see, managing, managing football clubs, clubs are clubs, is getting a gang of blokes together, looking after them, right? Getting the best out of them, helping them. Like, you know what I mean? Trying to understand them. People think football's all about fucking tactics and... Of course you need tactics, but it's about getting the best. Like, like if you have a fella playing football and he looks at you and he goes, he's a fucking idiot. I'm not running here today for him. You're finished. So it's getting people, youngless together, a bit of respect and looking out. And that's how I, I got my success out of it. Do you want me to start asking questions now? <laughs> Carlin, is the clock up? Yeah, we got the dough. We normally get paid up front, by the way, you know that? Like I said, a resolution. The rod father be at the hall now, everybody's down. I'll get you a drink in there. Yeah, uh, Roddy, we seen a video yesterday, yeah, me and Terrence sitting down. The best video on the internet, by the way. So it's you, your tactics versus Pep Guardiola's tactics. Come here, he spoiled Rod. I'd, I'd work with fellas getting 50 quid a week. His is getting 50 bleeding grand a minute. You know what I mean? Pep, I met him a few times. He's all right. You met? I met Pep a few times. I met him, I was on doing all these coaching courses. They're called a the pro license. Right. So I met him, he was a nice fella. I met, I met, um, what's the fella's name? Special one. Mourinho. Okay. Yeah, Mourinho. And I was looked after by Alex Ferguson. Yeah. Yeah. When when I was when I was manager of Carlisle, my agent, the head of an agent, was Pat Crennan's son, Danny Crennan. And Pat Crennan and Alex were best mates. So and because I walked up bottles when we beat Aberdeen in Europe, Alex knew the story. So he rang me, I rang him, got a bit of a thing. So he sent me a Christmas card. Right? Sent me a Christmas card. So my prized possession for 20 years was, there's Alex Ferguson. I, just, I wouldn't show it to anyone, just bleeding. Everyone come here and show me. <laughs> I just happened to have that in my pocket. 
Reddy's off the biography there about a year ago. He sends out 5,000 a year. <laughs> I thought it was exclusive to Alex. But now, yeah. Ah, come here. Football managers, money. Look, it's fun. It's a game. It's taken too serious at the moment. Too much money involved. Not enough crack. There's no characters anymore. There's no characters left in the game. Like, people say to me, what's the difference between football when you played and football now? Football now, right? Fella plays a game of ball. He goes in and he rehydrates with water and electrolytes. And then they give him protein, right? And then he goes and has a bleeding eye spot, right? Then he fixes his hair, puts his makeup on and does an interview on the telly. That's the truth, right? When we played, right, we got off the pitch as quick as you could, a half a shower, and rehydrate about 15 points of stout as quick as you could get them into, right? Your protein's a fish and chip, right? Right? And your recovery was in the A and bleeding in the matter of Mount Joy. It wasn't in a, it wasn't in a nice spot. That's spoiled now. Better crack then. Not great money, but with great stories. That's how you can come up and tell them. Oh, Burden the ears off you, that fellow, wouldn't he? <laughs> he should second guess starting a podcast already and telling you. Right, we bring out the next guest. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together for one of Ireland's biggest journalists, Aoife Miller. If you want to talk to them, <laughs> she said, Do I need to move this? No. What's happening? How are you? You're just going to have to hold it. Just hold it. All right, okay. I don't really want to go after fucking Chatterbox. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hear that, by the way. <laughs> I didn't. You give an air about me? Uh, not, not much. We're not going to show him up, I mean, no. No. You know, Not like a fucking paid. I can tell you that. <laughs> I, I have to be nice to him because Roddy used to ma- manage Derry City. So. Used to manage Derry. Mm-hmm. So. Did you? I did. Yeah, I took Paddy McCoy. You tell the story. You must have been paid. <laughs> <laughs> well, we only found out this tonight. Yeah, know. Roddy brought my cousin Paddy McCourt home from England to play football in Ireland. There you are now. Oh. Yeah. Leighton Roddy fell asleep in the show, what? I know. How's things? How are you? Grand. It's, you know, it's a miracle I got here because when Terence first heard the name Aoife Murr, he said, is that that famous jockey? <laughs> <laughs> the true story. It's a true story. Not a jockey, just a big ride. What? <laughs> 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 Fucking hard you were all about. <laughs> Learned the gap down your way, I'm telling you, there was way easier ways to ask me on a date than bringing me to fucking Mickers, Jamie. 
<laughs> Where's his podcast going? <laughs> Eva, I think I'll swap seats with Terence. <laughs> Separate you still. The Baldwin has a warden down for us. <laughs> so Eva, you're a political correspondent. Yes. Very posh. For the Sunday Times, I. Look here, maybe after that. What? Like <laughs> what? Tell us what's that like being a political correspondent in Ireland? Because politics um, is great in this country. Oh, great. Um, I, so I work in the Doll. I work in Leinster House. So my office is behind the Cancorda. Where the Cancorda sits, my office is directly behind where he sits. And every single newspaper has an office inside the actual Doll building. Um, so there's a bar... Uh, which everybody goes to on a Wednesday night, and it is a circus. Um, Never paid a bill on it. Well, they're they're not allowed to have a tab anymore because people weren't paying their bills, and they're not allowed a tab. And there's a canteen, and it's like the ugliest high school in the world. (laughs) Absolutely grand. But uh, it's grand, it's just, as everybody here knows, it's filled with people who... Ha- <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, it's filled with people, um, a lot of people who think they have a God-given right to be there. Uh, and they don't like certain types of people telling them that they shouldn't be there and they take their jobs for granted and they forget that Leinster House is our house and not their house. (laughs) So Eva, last year you probably broke one of the biggest stories of the year Mm -hmm. in Golfgate. Yep. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? I, so I would love to say that it was through like my great journalism that I found out about Golfgate, but it wasn't. I got an anonymous video um, from somebody I definitely owe a pint to, but he sent me a video of um, he sent me a video of the table plan for the Oroctus Golf Society annual prize given dinner. And it was the morning of the do. The law had changed to say that no more than six people could gather. And there was 83 people at this do. So when I saw the table plan, I phoned. The first thing I did was phone the hotel. And God love her. It was this wee girl answered the phone. And she's about 18 or 19. And I didn't say I was a journalist, but I was very breezy. And I says, how you doing? Um, I'm just ringing just to check if the Oireachtas Golf Society event went ahead last night. And she said, yeah, I wasn't working, but it was full attendance because we had 83 dinners or something made. And I got off the phone and I spent the next seven hours phoning every single name on the table plan. And the next, by the next day... The Minister for Agriculture had resigned 
a week later, the EU Commissioner had resigned. <laughs> and we nearly and we nearly tore down the Supreme Court as well. <laughs> because the Attorney General who wrote the rules for COVID was at the do. <laughs> Some neck and all them, what? Yeah. Do what I say, not what I do kind of thing. Well, that's why they had to resign, because we were all supposed to be in it together, and it was very clear that we weren't. And the thing that bothered me the most was nearly every single person I spoke to that day lied to me and said, no, this is in the rules, this is grand. Uh, I always say, like, they kept saying, there was a partition in the room who... Who would have thought partition could cause so much drama? But they were like, they, they were like, um, there were, it was two rooms and it was grand and it was this and it was that. They're all full of shite. Like, and the thing that bothered me was that this was in the time of like people weren't going to funerals and we were all standing outside mass and for people and all that stuff. And that's what bothered me. I know people still in court over breaking COVID restrictions. And the, thing, and the thing was, when they said that they were going to start doing extra patrols um, in Dublin and other places, the, the guards were going to be doing extra patrols, I made the point and I said, you know, there are communities, especially in Dublin and big cities, that are placed very differently from our communities. And I said to the Secretary General of the Department, Who's to say that it's not going to be a whole load of the fellas from Kulak and the inner city and Tal that's going to be up in these? And she laughed. And lo and behold, everybody that has come up for COVID finds the vast majority of them are from the inner city, Tala, Kulak, because the pla- they're, cause they're overplaced. But that's the mindset in Leinster House, is that they can't see past their own noses that other people might have a different experience than <laughs> See, with the golf gay story, aye. was there much backlash in the doll over there towards you? No, I not, like, publicly. See the people that are pissed off about golf gate? They were looking for an excuse to hit me anyway. Yeah. So I really feel like if you're still pissed off about golf gate, you need to get a life. But, like, I feel that, no, I do feel that people were sore about it because they then felt that because so much had happened and it was in the New York Times and everyone's talking about it, I think they thought we were a bit like rubbing it in their faces sort of thing, um, which I wasn't. And I always tell people, like, the first person who resigned was Dara Cleary. And I really liked Dara Cleary. Like, he like was a very civil, nice person. And he was the first person that texted me the next day and said, no hard feelings, that's the job. And I just got him sacked. So, like... <laughs> <laughs> So that's the kind of difference between people like Dara Cleary and the sort of people who would still be huffing about golf gate. What other journalists shower about it? My boss had to go away and stay at a yoga retreat with his wife and he was human that he wasn't there. <laughs> but I, um, the worst about golf gate was is that uh, Radio Nagel took the, 
had mentioned it live on the radio during the day, saying that the prize given was go ahead, and nobody twigged. Oh, here, Jesus, they're having a party. And there was apparently a full investigation in RT that nobody had picked, on, to picked up on it as well. So, uh... Fuck them anyway, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> Why do you think there's so few working-class politicians? Because it's this, the system's stacked against you. Like, I think um, even to get... Well, first of all, like, in working-class communities, if you're working full-time, you haven't got then the time or the energy to become... A lot of people have to become county councillors or city councillors before, and, like, that's 20, 30 hours a week. Then, like, if you have... It's a lot of, it's a lot of fucking work, for starters, and then also, like, a lot of people don't feel like politics is for them because it's so boring. Like, you see them in the doll, you see them in their suits, you see them arguing about legislation... And, like, my ma thinks I have the most boring job in the world, and I don't blame her. Like, like my ma wouldn't come here and sit and listen to me talking tonight, so fair play to all usins. <laughs> but, um, and when they get in there, it's, like, a big, like I said before, it's like a high school. Like, Ming Flanagan, uh, the MEP from Roscommon, also always talks about being in Leinster House was the most unhappy he's ever been because he said that the other politicians were, like, bullies and they make fun of people's accents. Like, I've had people say things to my face about my accent, about behind my back. Thank you. It's my ma. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, uh, they make it incredibly hard to get there. And also, I think when people are voting in more affluent areas, more middle-class areas, they are programmed not to vote for the people with accents, not from the flats, not from the estate. And, like, it's, you see it in everything. You see it in the Biosagate as well. It's so much of the Biosagate is because I'm working class and because of the way I talk, because they have decided that I don't belong here. And it's the same when you see people in elections. There's a reason there's very few working class people in the doll. There's only been how many, you know, there's not been many Tony Gregory's or whoever else. And there's a reason, because it's so hard to get there. And then when you get there, it's a fucking nightmare once you're there. Love you. Love you. Ma. <laughs> <laughs> Is it hard to deal with the unknown hate? Uh, I, when I first started, um, I just really, really didn't expect the level of abuse that I was going to get, because I was very naive. And I was like, oh, well... You know, I don't have any connection to any party in the south. So I was like, I'll come down here and everybody will be really nice to me. <laughs> and I was the examiner two weeks. I know, I only know this because I had to get all my tweets printed out and take them to the Gardaí. And I was... <laughs> I know what the worst of it is. The first one came on my fucking birthday. <laughs> it's like, you wankers. But I, I was in two weeks when it started... And it was a year and a half of every day, just non-stop abuse and death threats and rape threats. And it's just... And uh, the Shanner stuff I can handle. I could call the Shanner, like, every day. And it's, like, the most unoriginal mm. And so, And, like, it started... Like, I've started tweeting Mary Lou. You've been like, where's my wages? 
Like, because <laughs> it's like, it's the most, I think when people call me a shinner, it shows that you know absolutely nothing about the North. My name's Aoife, and I talk like this, so I must be a shinner. Like, and they think, they think they've my yard marked, and I know for a fact, because people have told me that politicians on there and all our journalists on there think I deserve it. So it's not that there's like this solidarity on there as well. Mm. Um, because a lot of them think I deserve it. Because like I said about working class politicians as well, they don't want they don't want people like us on there. So that's why I don't think enough people realise when it does come time to vote. Mm. Uh, the people who are already in government don't really give a fuck about the likes of us because we'd never usually vote. Yeah. Um, like historically so they're, yeah. they're not worried about us taking them out of government mm-hmm. when they don't realise that like if everyone in this room went and registered to vote mm-hmm. you have so much power to sway the next government and take people out yeah like, and like Leo Varadkar got into the last government by the skin of his teeth mm-hmm. you know what I mean yeah my constituency had the lowest turnout in voting and if we actually got in and we push it across the line and every single person does vote and we yeah. are to stand up because we have got a pain in our bollocks with this. Aye. There will be a big change and very soon as well. And the other thing is too, like I have absolutely no idea that say right, things do go Sinn Féin's way, right? And Sinn Féin get in, right? There is no way in God's green earth that they can give everything that they're promising. But if you don't like that, then vote them out. At least you get a chance then to say, well, I gave you a chance before and now you've made a boss of it, so I'm not going to vote for you again. But like, it's really, I find it really different down here because in the North, in the nationalist community, my granny was married with five wains before she had the right to vote. So if you didn't, the way it worked in the North was like, if you didn't have a house, you didn't have a vote. And Catholics didn't, have any, didn't get houses. So for us, like my dad is obsessed with voting because like, vote early, vote often. But yet the thing was like, <laughs> people fought and died for the vote, so you have to vote for it. So don't take it for granted because my granny didn't have it until she was 40, so. And that's it. And you can't sit there and say the people in the doll don't care about us because your vote is not going to take them out. Whereas if you go and vote and it does start to take them out, you're going to light a fire under their arse and you'll see mm-hmm. policy change then. And the thing is too, all them parties do so much internal polling that costs them a fortune. But they're polling what age you are, what social class you are, whether you're a farmer, whether you're from the inner city. And then when you, they see their polling numbers, so it's say if it says 25-year-olds from co-op don't vote, they're not going to do anything to help 25-year-olds in co-op because they don't vote anyway. So this is the thing. It's not just, yeah, you vote one time, but then they're polling all the time and then they realise that they have to answer to you then. That's how it works. So there we go. You mentioned Daddy there. Your I mom, Daddy. She loves Daddy. <laughs> um, was the troubles a big part of your childhood growing up? Mine more for most people, I would say. So I'm only um, 31, so I was seven when. Uh, <laughs> Get up, Dad. Dad. 
Um, I was seven when they signed the Good Friday Agreement, so I don't have like memories the way my man and dad would have had. But so I think, and I say this all the time, but the reason I got into journalism was because the British Army murdered my mommy's brother on Bloody Sunday in 1972, and my family founded the Bloody Sunday Justice Campaign. So, um, so I don't, um, I don't ever remember learning about Bloody Sunday. You just knew about Bloody Sunday, and for so long, like, because every January you would go on the march, and then for my family especially, you know, they all the big thing was just getting the inquiry, just getting their names cleared, like getting the inquiry, and then. A lot of like the mammies, because like then you remember like four people who died on Bloody Sunday were seventeen, so you know their mammies started dying, and you know people, it's like the stardust now. Like you see them getting older and older, and you think like, are you waiting for these people to die so you don't have to answer for what happened anymore? That's what I feel like happens in the stardust as well, and um, and like. That's why I took such a big thing in my journalism. That's why I really talk to the Stardust families because they remind me so much of the Bloody Sunday families of these people didn't do anything and they just want answers. And we all know that if they came from a different era, they would have been treated much better, but they didn't. And it's the same with Bloody Sunday. People thought, well, these are working class Catholics and they can't do anything, so we're going to be grand. So... For us, it was the protests and the marches. And I always remember uh, when I was in primary two, the day Tony Blair became prime minister, my first tooth fell out. <laughs> and, I <laughs> and I remember coming in, and I must have been the only six-year-old in the world who I went down to my primary school teacher, and I said, um, oh, my, my tooth fell out this morning, and Tony Blair, Tony Blair became the prime minister, and we're going to get a Bloody Sunday inquiry. Like, that's how much it was in the house all the time, like, have to get the inquiry and all this. So I think that's definitely why I became a journalist, because if you're brought up to question everything the government tells you, like, what else is it going to do? <laughs> so, Roddy, you managed 30C. I did. See? Is that Caroline, is it? <laughs> it's either Caroline or my ma. <laughs> Anyone over there get one? Anyone? Every book is two euros towards the new salt. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I managed Dirty City for a short period of time. Hold that mic in. Hold that in today, I managed Dirty for about. Pull it back out, bloody. <laughs> No, we're only messing. Go on. The, uh, but, uh, no, I lived up in Derry. I loved it. And my ambition was, if you go back, well, now in this room, I remember, at the very start of the civil rights movement up in Derry, there was a march, and there was a baton charge, and there was a man stood like a man with his fists up in a boxing stance, trying to fight back an RUC man with a big baton, and he banged him on the head three or four times. And I went up to Artie Duffy, you know Artie? I and I said, Artie, get the archives out, I said, because my drive and my ambition is to win a medal for his family, and that's the gospel truth. You can check that with Artie Duffy. Mm -hmm. I, I, I went up there. I knew, Artie Duffy was the editor of the Dairy Journal, just for 
<laughs> yeah, well, he, he was he was the man, but I knew Martin very well, Martin McGuinness. Oh, Martin, I knew Martin for 40 years. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so I went on, the, I went on the, the president's bus trail with him. No way. Yeah, me and... When he ran, when he ran for yeah. president, yeah. I always remember where they published all their expenses. Right when you were running for pres president, it was like all oh, published all your expenses, and people were getting shit for like all like the stuff, the fancy stuff that they had bought. And the only thing on Martin McGuinness's was three suits from City Man in the town. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I did, yeah, I'll tell you a little story. I went on the trail with them, right? And they don't, they don't, they don't Finglish. Carberry, Talley, Clondalk, and when we got to Bally Farm, there was a protocol. We got off the coach. We're not going to share with you, tell you this story, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, well, no, fire. no when, we, when we got off the coach, like, um, Martin got off first, then Jerry, then I had to get off for some reason. I don't, we're not standing behind, not standing behind cameras, right? Um, Next one, Martin Groff, big cheer, Martin, Martin, Martin. Jerry gets off, Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. I get off, what are you fucking doing here, you fucking idiot? <laughs> <laughs> I put my arm around the two boys around, it's a little bit rough up here, I'm looking after the boy. <laughs> oh, yeah, I did, I, I walked up and dirty, it didn't work out for me, because I found... It was us, not you. No, but, no, no, but seriously, I've generally found... I'm a dairy man. Mm. And, I, and, and I'm proud and glad you're a dairy man. But it was like as if I was in. I remember the first day I arrived. I went up. I went up. <laughs> and I walked out. No, I just finished on this. And I walked through the boardroom and there was five players. And you know these lads. And there they are with that, watching the table. Feet up in the boardroom table. And I'm the new manager who has to take control of the situation. He went, oh, fuck's sake. And that was it. But look. Yeah, we, have we, have, we famously have problems with authorities, and that makes me what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the reason why there. I brought up you managing in Derry, and if you obviously being from there, mm -hmm. James McLean comes from Derry. <laughs> and with the time of the year that it is, mm -hmm. he gets a lot of shit this time over not wearing the poppy. Around, I, but yeah. What do you think of that situation? I have actually. I sound like a wanker now, but I have written a column for the Sunday Times on Sunday about this. And I'm not even framing it as James McLean is a dairyman, right? Tech dairy, like forget about Bloody Sunday, forget about that, right? Craigan, right? So my mommy's from Craigan, I was reared in Craigan. James McLean is from Craigan. It's a big council estate on the top of a hill that backs onto the border between the north and the south. So everybody knows about Bloody Sunday, right? But most people don't know about Kathleen Thompson. Kathleen Thompson was 47 and had six kids when she was shot in her head in her front garden in Craigan. Daniel Hegarty was shot from Point Blank Range. He was 12 by the British Army playing in the street. These are the neighbours of James McLean. Why would James McLean wear a poppy? And like... <laughs> Don't get me wrong, right? I very much feel, right, that if you want to wear a poppy, the British Army gave your community, gives your community or treated your community with a sense of national pride. 
then you should be able to wear a poppy. But don't denigrate the communities where they didn't have a sense of national pride and force us to wear one as well. And if we want to get under, the only thing is, if you want to get under the technicalities of it, you can say, well, it's just for World War I and it's just for World War II. Right, okay, if it's just for World War I and just for World War II, the money from the Royal British Legion goes to the veterans, to look after the veterans of every single conflict that the British Army has been involved in. So if I wear a poppy, if I put a euro or a pound in that box, the man who murdered my uncle is still alive. How do I know that that pound is not looking after him? We're going to go to a quick break now, yeah? Going to start oh, fucking can crying. <laughs> can we give a quick round of applause for the two of them? Unbelievable. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to the stage Terence Power and Calvin O'Brien. Big chill, big chill. Is all having a good night? Yeah. Do you know what we just found out? We took the most money in from the bar and take from any show this year. Yeah. Actually, gets a bit better than that. You have the record for the bar and take Jordan and Interval this year. Yeah. Relax yourselves, fucking hell. So he's all having a good time. Great. On a Wednesday, yeah. Someone out the people ringing in sick to walk tomorrow. Sorry, I can't come in. I stood on a plug. Please welcome back to the stage, E for more and Roddy Collins. Put your hands together and raise the roof for the last guest of the evening, James Kavanagh. Don't be flirting, James. I can't stop flirting. Right, I think we should ease you in here. For the zinger. <laughs> you want to start off with the zinger? Yeah. It's a much hurtiest one, but actually, isn't it? One. 
If you could go back, James, I'll ask you for sure around you, yeah? No. If you could go back to any moment in time, where would you go? Any time. Any moment in time? I kind of am into ancient Egypt vibes, yeah. Um, oh, you said that as well. Texas. Nah, that. It... <laughs> What's he saying? The long story. How long do you think you would last in Texas? <laughs> I'd probably go back to last week. I had a really good night out last week. I was, I dressed up as Marge Simpson for Halloween, and I had a ball. So I'd go back to last Saturday night. Right. <laughs> Where would you go back to? The mind was from the Eve. <laughs> Where would you go back to? I think I would like to be caught in a boat in like Hollywood in the fifties and sixties, like you know when everybody was just like drinking flat out and smoking loads of fags and just having a really good time. I'd love to know your smoke up here. Fuck <laughs> John Blue, fuck it. I just be in the back smoking in the shower and all. I'd go, I'd go, I'd change my mind. I'd go back to... God you. jealous. He's yeah, like, I am no, jealous. I, that was better. I'd go back to ancient Roman times to, like, the orgies and everything. <laughs> like, it was a ball. They had a ball. Well, ancient Rome. Well, with you, James, yeah? Yes. You together. You there in the Colosseum? <laughs> what about you, Roddy? Here we fucking go, what? <laughs> Right, he's going to go back to last week. He's getting gargled. Tenants is getting gargled now, right? <laughs> I, Terence, I, I went back to last Friday when your producer rang me up and said, I'll give you two grand. I won fucking six. I didn't know it was going to be packed like this. I would have went back. Now, but, do you know what? I'll leave it. I won't tell you where I want. It's, it's a very sad story. Go on, spill the beans, Sorry. Well, you all know, well, everyone knows when they read the book, I'm a bit careless since I was 15, right? But when I was 14, Sorry to hear. I was in Spain on my holidays, and there was this lovely girl there, and she kept looking at me, and I kept looking at her. And I, I never felt this. I did what cannibal. I said to her, I said to her, can you do me a favour? I think I'm in love. And she said to me, I'm in love with you too. And I only ever seen her walking around by the pool. And I said to her, can I have a kiss? She says, no, I'm going to be a nun in the morning. <laughs> and that's true. Is this in the book? What? Is this in the book? No, I fucked her in the pool and I scarpered. <laughs> <laughs> and I rang Caroline and said, I'm only winding you. <laughs> I don't want to be anywhere else. This is the best. Yes, you know better than that. Who let the dogs out? Who let the dogs out? Ray, what a gaff tonight! What a gaff! Free red wine as well. Anyway, answer your question. We've about another half an hour of this show to go. <laughs> Right, James. How yes. are you, mate? I'm very good. How are you? I'm, I'm good, yeah. You have your own cooking podcast. I do. Yeah, it's called What Did You Eat This Week. Um, it's nowhere near you. I'm always looking at the charts. It's you and Joanne McNally's podcast, which is literally dominating the first two. I'm never quite there, so I aim to be like you one day. <laughs> I was gonna say I want to be you when I grow up as well, but here we are. <laughs> 
What are your podcasts? What What do you think has led you to your podcast success? All them. That's true. What made them listen? Do you think? What tips do you have for me? Can I answer? Can I answer this one? Little nerves are gone. Oh, I don't know. It's definitely your honesty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Open, honest, vulnerable. And I think I think as well, it's because people want to listen to people who sound like them and who are relatable. It's why people want to listen to Ronnie, and it's why people want to listen to you. It's like there isn't, and I say this all the time in media, there isn't a diversification of voices. It's the same type of people that we're hearing from all the time, and that's the same in podcasts and the same in news. So like. There aren't many people who sound like you in podcasts, and I think that's why all these people re- relate to you. Also, I'm, I'm w- my boyfriend is uh, he went to Ballymaloo, and he he's kind of the cook. I just kind of get people to buy the cookbook. So if you if you if you want to have a food business, get someone who's really good at cooking, and then someone else who can kind of make the sales. So I just kind of make people buy the book. <laughs> There's good recipes in it, apparently. <laughs> so I've been told. Well, come here. You have a restaurant as well, do you know? I, a caravan. Yeah. But I love your PR spin. It's a restaurant. <laughs> no, it's actually on wheels. The place is on wheels. It's a ca- this place is on wheels. It's on wheels. <laughs> That must be some fucking hilva. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I bet we sell sandwiches and coffee and hot pots from a caravan in Collins Barracks, which we're opening on Friday. So if you're hungry, come on Friday to Collins Barracks, and that's where we sell our Caribbean stuff from. James, how did you get your start in what you're doing now? I started on Snapchat, and my thing on Snapchat was scaring William, my boyfriend. That was what I would do the entire time. So I kind of got uh, thousands and thousands of followers due from scaring William. So I kind of had to keep that up. So he loves to remind me, like, he is the reason that I have a following. So he'll never... I love you too. I love this audience. <laughs> They're real hot and nice. Um, so yeah, it was Snapchat that kind of, like, gave me the platform, and then it just kept going on, and... For some reason, people stuck around. James, yeah. we actually acted in the same show as each other. Uh, Darren and Joe's free gaff? Yup. Yes. Anyone see Darren and Joe's free gaff? It was very good. Yeah. How did you find your acting spell? I was going to ask you that. That's great. <laughs> you want to just take over? Um, I love Darren and Joe. They're so gas. And I played a rent collector, I think. I was bashing down the door of some guy um, in the show. And I collected his rent. And I... Uh... It was Joe McGuggan's calf. Joe McGuggan's in the audience as is well. He? Where is he? I love the way Terrence just be like, where do you? As if he could see, you can't see Aunt no pair. I could see Keyford up there flexing. Yeah, because he's about <laughs> six, seven. <laughs> Tom O'Carty up there with you. Lunchbox head. <laughs> Have 2020 vision, bro. Where is John McGuckham really? Sound, he left early, he was right. Um, yes, I had a fun time acting in that show. I really enjoyed it. 
Yeah, Sheldon, yes. we, we had to play. What did we have to play what in that? What were your characters? The we two were little to be twins. The twins out of shining. But the, when we showed up, we were like, oh, we didn't get the dresses, so we had to just wear, like, tracksuits. I see it, yeah, I see it, yeah. yeah. So it was a bit of a letdown. <laughs> He's like, I see that. Yeah. <laughs> like, ready? Yeah. <laughs> right, we have a little trick up our sleeve again. So remember I said, sometimes you might hear something that you already heard on Sunday. So it's not really a magic trick, because he's on it every fucking week, Rush. Let's bring out Kirla Morton, yeah? How's it going? How is all doing? How's it going? Come here, I thought I'd be fucking barred from this place, the lads ought to have me on the last couple of times, but uh, no, just quickly before we go any further, this is the lads' last show um, in Vicar Street. And of the year, they've given me. Go <laughs> easy there. I think, I think. But uh, <coughs> let's just tell you something. They could have had any musician in Dublin or in Ireland on this show and they gave me the opportunity, so it's all down to them. So after the last show, Kieran pulled us and he was like, look, thanks for the opportunity, you don't understand what it means. And I said, Kieran, we could put anyone up there, but they have to fucking make the most of it, and I think he did. So the last two times I played on the show, uh, I was going to play new stuff here tonight, but I wanted to play what went, uh, what went well the last time. So I'm going to start off with a spoken word piece. Some people might have heard it. Uh, it's the opening of an EP or release about working class people and inner city folks and council estates and all that. So yeah, we'll give it a go. on the streets to be nervous or to be scared of because they've been playing like you and me it's a rich and copeland suits who make thousands every year well they make the richest richer so those with less will just disappear they'll have campaigns in your area and they'll promise the moon and stars but that's only so their fortunes can still be washed with dirty hands well they say criminals sell drugs but at least don't sell dreams and it's those who buy their bullshit instead of expressing just how we feel. These are the tales of those who probably didn't have it all. A holiday in June and sunshine house and night tracksuits full of holes. But I promise we were happier. Although the shops we shop were cheap. From JFK's to Hector Gray's and our neighbour who robbed your meat. To take these as only stories. And at points you will relate. These are my days of glory. And for the souls of council estates. a bit deep now and then we'll, we'll have a bit of fun uh, towards the end. This is a song I wrote, uh, one of the four songs I wrote. I played on the podcast and I played on the live show and uh, it's one of my favourite songs to play and the feeling the last time was amazing so it's a song about domestic violence called Mother and uh, if you don't even know the words just can join in with me. Yeah.
Have a show next week. Is it sold out yet? I'm at the saying this about ten times. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, next Friday, um, we can have another party together. The sad ones and the fast ones, and we'll have a bit of cracking. We're gonna have a bit of fun now as well, so we'll uh, we we'll lift the spirits and have a bit of crack again. Yeah. There's only a handful of tickets left as well, so be quick, get on them and sell that thing out. Yeah. Let's go, Carlo. 
first time I was here, I played a song called The Owl Triangle, and last night, uh, or Sunday, I played some else, but uh, I'm going to do something a little bit different from, uh, one of, I love playing this band songs, and they're working class band, and they're not from Ireland, but they're, they're fantastic, and I know everybody here should know the words of it. So if you can join in with me, and we'll have a bit of fun and a bit of crack, and the usual kind of buzz, we'll get going after it, and uh, yeah, look forward to it. This is a song by Oasis, Don't Look Back in Anger, yeah?
Mayor uh, I have to do uh, I have to do one thing before we do something. Uh, it's Calvin's birthday on Sunday. Yeah. Happy birthday. Whoever catches out. So do you know why Anna Wedding, whoever catches it gets married. Whoever catches this gets a podcast off going out. Dirty bastards, he's done me dirty there. I knew we'd catch a bike. Just one more, Sean. Yeah. Let him know. One more, Sean. Yeah. We done this on Sunday night. And uh, was anybody here on Sunday? Is there anyone in the crowd? Lovely, lovely. So uh, some of you might have seen this on, online. Uh, we started this song off. And before we started, we only done it halfway through the last time. But everyone on you is a fee for the start of this one, if you can, right? And what we're going to do is we need everybody on the bottom floor to stamp you as a fee to this beat, right? Just as a fee for on the bottom floor, yeah? So it's this beat. Anyone on the balcony? I want you to clap your hands on that beat, yeah? Go for it. This is the end of the night, so let's go fucking crazy with this one, yeah? Be gone, yeah? It's a fee on the ball. 
Obviously, the last live show of the year. Genuinely, from the bottom of our hearts, thanks to every single one of you for coming out and making it a great night. It's could have been anywhere in the world, but you're here with us, so we really do appreciate that. That's a wrap. That's a wrap. Anyone who wants pictures of that will be out at the left side there, and we get pictures. But there was a favour. Everyone gets his torches onto me and Calvin got a fresh picture, yeah? Good luck to Before we wrap this one up, come here to one more time by the guest players. One more time by Roddy Collins. One more time by Eva Miller. One more time by James Kavanagh. One more time by our resident musician, Colonel Morton. Yeah. Big thanks to Goldelb for putting this show together. Thanks to Vigor Street for having us. Thanks to every single one of you for coming out on a fucking skill night. 
He's been Terrence Power. I've been Calvin O'Brien. We've been talking bollocks. Good night and God bless. The Hip Knocker.